Welcome to the Coping 19 Limited Series Podcast, a positive look at how entrepreneurs are coping with this COVID-19 pandemic, what they're learning from this situation, and how they're changing their business practices to accommodate this new world. COVID-19 has brought a lot of changes in our personal lives, how we think, how we act, how we interact with people, how we even go to different stores and different restaurants now. Everything is changing. But another thing that has happened during the worldwide pandemic, which is very important to note, was of course the death of George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter movement and how it's gaining momentum every week and the recognition here in Canada that, hey, We have a problem with systemic racism and unconscious bias. It happens here at home. It's not just a U.S. thing. It's a world thing. And it's time to correct our behavior as white people, especially white Canadians. When it comes to business and entrepreneurship, how do we see black people in our society? Do we include them in our friend groups? Do we include them in our companies? Do we support their businesses? Do we support their ideas? These are things we need to ask ourselves. I know it's not an easy fix. It's not going to happen overnight. We can't change how everybody acts right away. But change is what we need to do. COVID-19 has taught us that we have to change our lives in many, many aspects. So while we're doing that, while we're working on ourselves, it is very important to work on how we see people who are black, how we interact with them, how we do business. My podcast is about entrepreneurship and how entrepreneurs are coping during COVID-19. But there are a lot of black people who are entrepreneurs and they are struggling with COVID as well as struggling with racism on top of it. So that's what I wanted to do was take a step back, learn what it's like to work as a black person and understand what they go through as an employee, as a boss, as an entrepreneur and how me as a white woman can better understand to help better the community. And I know I'm not the only white person that is thinking this. There are many out there. I have talked to friends about this. And we want to change. We just don't know how. I am not an expert on this topic. Like I said, I want to learn. I want to educate myself on how I can help and be an ally to the black community. Because change starts with every one of us. So that's why this topic is so important for me to do. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's all that we, people need, basically, in this moment right now is just basically an awareness and, and even an awareness of there's something going on and I don't know about it and I would like to know more about it, you know? So that's just basically the first thing, acknowledging that there are issues out there and if you don't know more about them, then finding out. That's the place that we, we all can start at. You know, open and happy to talk to anyone who asks me about anything because I mean, I think the whole thing is, you know, just black people in general, like just the last 500 years on the planet has probably been one of the worst 500 years for us. Mm-hmm. And we have kind of had to, you know, just take it in stride. And, you know, we go through different things and we don't really 
have um, an avenue to talk about it. It's not like our employers usually want to talk about these type of things. You know, so I am very optimistic and happy about the current climate because it's kind of like a time where people are and, it, and you're right, it does have something to do with, I think uh, you mentioned like the COVID-19, like us just having this time to reflect on our society has given us like more brain time to kind of look back and because we're not so stuck in this, like the rat race and kind of see like, wow, this is where we are in 2020. Like this is not acceptable. No, and it's not acceptable. And that is why I wanted to discuss this topic because things are changing. Things are happening. And I really thank you for coming on to my podcast, Coping 19, because I want to learn, like I was saying at the beginning, and I'm glad you're here to educate people so we can all be better citizens in our community. So thank you. Thank you again for coming on. So a little bit about Jamila Jackson before we get into the questions. She has a BA in psychology and a Bachelor of Education degree from UBC. She's a mother an educator, community activist, and light worker. Again, I am so excited to have her on the show because nothing against the men that I've interviewed. I love all you guys, but it has been amazing on this podcast that I've been able to interview so many amazing women, and Jamila is one of them. But before we dive in to our topic, I always love learning about people, and I want to know their journey. So Jamilo, tell me a little bit about yourself. I was born in Toronto, oldest of four kids. I went to Catholic school my whole life uh, in uh, North York, in York region. I was actually in the gifted program when I was a child. I skipped grade three, then I was in the gifted program from grade six to grade 12. So, you know, in that sense, I had a good childhood that, you know, I was always the only black person in my class, but my school kind of still saw me and recognized my talent. You know, this is like in the 80s. So that was very positive for me. I think the thing about me is that, you know, people, a lot of times people say to me like, oh, I, I, people might not know what to say to you. It's not that they're racist or anything, but I'm just the same as every other Canadian, you know? So it's kind of like, and it's so simple, but it's like, don't judge a book by its cover, you know? I came to Vancouver when I was about 20. I fell in love with Vancouver. It's so beautiful here. I went to UBC for a degree in psychology and I worked in social services for many years. And then I, 2012, I went back to school and I became a teacher. Uh, the teachers were on strike the very next year. So I didn't go into teaching and I became a, instead the director of patient services at a specific charity. And so that was a great experience as well. But that uh, obviously did come with its own, uh, I would say, covert racist undertones. And we can get into a little bit more about that later. Well, leading in with that, I was reading a lot of interviews from Black people in different articles who started down the entrepreneurial route because they were not given opportunities in their current place of work. So can we talk about some common racial roadblocks that Black people face in the workplace and how that pushes them to create their own opportunities? I mean, there's many, many roadblocks for Black people in the workplace. And I mean, the first one is just getting in the door. A lot of people get their jobs by associations. Nepotism is something that's helped a lot of people get their jobs. And so that is dependent on like, you know, previous generations and previous people already being here who are usually the white majority in, in this case, right? So a lot of people, uh, either sons, they, you know, they go to university and then they just go work at their dad's company. So it's 
slate. It's already having a place to go. You already have a warm market. A lot of Black people don't have that already. Either their parents might be first generation, or even if they have been here many generations, they just haven't had access to the same opportunities. And so when their kids are able to finish university, they don't really have that practice or something that their child can just go to. So that's one uh, roadblock. Another one is even just, you know, resumes. When you're putting out resumes, you're thinking, you know, that your schooling, your past experiences, your skills, you know, are enough or should be enough. And even for me personally, I have put out like many, many resumes and felt, you know, gung-ho about everything, like so optimistic and then realized, oh, why aren't I getting any callbacks? I did an experiment just with myself because my name's Jamila Jackson. And it does sound like a very, you know, like American black person's name. I didn't think this at first because I never think of racism as first. And I was like, I wonder if I changed my name to like Jamie, just Jamie Jackson and sent it all to the exact same people. Would I get a different result? And so I did that. And guess what? I got so many more callbacks. It, it was just literally instant and obvious. I literally got like even the job. And so then they called me Jamie Jackson. And then I, so I told them like, my name's Jamila. So they said Jamie and they put in brackets, Jamila Jackson, because I still wanted it to be me. But that is how I got into the door. Another obstacle I would say is people tend to like people that look like them better or like feel like they know them more or feel like they can trust them more. When someone that you see is, you know, looks the total opposite of you, maybe you don't know someone who looks like that. It's kind of like, it's like, will I take a chance on this person who is like a question mark to me? Or, you know, I have another candidate who kind of reminds me of my niece or my friend or, you know, somebody that I, I've known for a long time. I kind of, it's just like a, a feeling that I have. But those are just all unconscious biases. And so I think that's one of the things that we all have to work on, just dismantling our unconscious biases, questioning why we have them and where do we get them from? Is it from the media? Is it, you know, Hollywood movies? We need to kind of kind of break down our own conditioning. Like, how did I get to this feeling? How did I get here? I'm still thinking about what you said about having to change your name on your resume just to get to the interview process. And as employers or as budding entrepreneurs that are starting to grow their business and hire talent, this is a good lesson. Like start at the beginning and look at who you're hiring and don't discriminate. And I really think you can start with the resume and look just at the talent and look at the qualifications and don't base it on what the name is at the top of the resume. Is this person going to just be a great employee, a great talent that I want to hire? Should really be what's running through your head. And I realize we all have unconscious biases that we have to rewire. And this is one step to rewiring the way we are thinking is by not focusing on the name at the top of the resume, but focusing on the potential that person can provide to our company. I think some other things are, I worked at a charity and so we got donations. And so we'd have like that big check moment where you have to take pictures and everything. And I remember my boss would always say, oh, uh, Jamie, make sure you have a good hair day tomorrow. We're getting our pictures taken. And I was always like, oh, she really wants me to have my hair like down and straight. So it's not controversial. Like nothing like, you know, out curly braids, anything like that. It's a kind of like an unspoken rule like that is not professional. And we don't really want to show that 
in our pictures or on our brochures or anything like that. So a lot of things are just kind of like microaggressions, not really, you know, like this huge thing to talk about, but microaggressions still add up and they still make you feel, you know, something negative about yourself. I think in the workforce, maybe a lot of times, you know, people really want to have maybe someone of color because it's kind of like they want to show their political correctness. And so we have to be careful of kind of like tokenism. So, you know, you are the one black and like we want you to, you know, be here and want to show that our company is so progressive, but they're not really kind of seeing you as some places are, but some places maybe are not really seeing you. They're just kind of tokenizing you. And when they do that, it's also easy for you to hit a glass ceiling. They like you, but they don't really want to promote you to the highest positions. And you find that, hey, I've been working here just as much as Bob here, but he's getting the promotion and I'm not. And even though I did like more sales than him last month, that's another thing I know a lot of minorities face that they're just not being looked at as potential for management as much. And there's probably been a lot of talent that companies have missed out on because they don't want to promote within, or even if they're promoting within, they are disregarding that person because of the color of their skin and not basing it on the fact that this person could be amazingly talented and dedicated to that company. Which leads me to another thing. Is there an example then that you have seen in a workplace where black people are treated differently than white people? Sometimes it's it's about, you know, certain behaviors that people do are totally interpreted differently if you're black or white. And this one I've seen a lot. It's like if a white person, like a new hire, maybe like, you know, asks a lot of questions about their job and goes to their boss and, uh, oh, okay, well, I just wanted some clarity about this, that they, you know, that person asking questions, a lot of time they would view that as positive. Like, oh, this person's so gung-ho. They're really on the ball. They've been asking questions. You know, they really want to find out exactly their role is like, yeah, this person's, you know, so committed. Sometimes if a black person who is just hired is asking a lot of questions, it's viewed as this person's incompetent, you know, oh, we just hired them and they just can't stop asking questions. I thought they would have it by now. It's a lot of times people interpret things differently, the exact same behaviors just by the person who's doing those behaviors. So we need to check our unconscious biases just every day. And that's something that we haven't done as a society. I mean, I think it's going to take a lot of work, but I do feel like the tides are changing and so much better for our society to have a healthy society where people are seen as the individuals that they are and don't have obstacles based on things that they can't control, like the color of their skin. As managers, as employers, as employees, as entrepreneurs, like I said before, that are growing their business and hiring people, how do we make sure we're creating workplaces that are not an environment for racism? I think a lot of people too, when something happens in the workplace or a colleague says something, or even if people in the lunchroom make racist jokes or things like that, it's really hard when your management or your boss doesn't respond to that. And they are kind of like, oh, it was just a joke. They were just joking around, like minimizing things because that sets a very negative tone. Once that keeps going, then it's a slippery slope. Then people can kind of get away with everything. And then it creates a toxic environment. And so you do feel like unsupported and these people are not really respecting you and who you are. So I think 
in the past, you know, when their microaggressions have happened, you know, management hasn't responded, you know, or they've responded to the person complaining by maybe like removing them or, or separating them or like, okay, why don't you work in this office over here? They've kind of just tried to um, quiet the noise, but not actually respond to the issue. And so the whole thing about the environment or atmosphere and in a company is a direct result of the management. The management sets what the core values are. The management sets the tone. And so basically, if there's anything off color that happens, any covert racism, overt racism, anything that happens in a company, the number one thing that should happen is management should address it and address it aggressively the first time. Because the thing that happens most of the time is that when something happens and it makes somebody, you know, feel very dehumanized or devalued, coworkers are, you know, so they're all laughing at a racist joke. And then your management's kind of just like, oh, just a joke or you're just taking it too hard. That is horribly dehumanizing. This is the moment that lessons are to be learned. And this is the time where you set the tone for the whole company and the management has to have a backbone and you need to stand up for all your employees and you need to let them know that's it. Like this is not acceptable. This is not acceptable. Instead, a good response is to create an anti-racism workshop day. Maybe it's like, okay, this is happening. This needs to happen right now. It would help not only the person who this is being perpetrated against, but everybody and you as the manager, this is your job to, you know, set the tone and also to be the example. You know, everybody has like, you know, their mission statement and their values. They need to add anti-racism into it. You know, anti-racism affects all aspects of our society. So I would say all employers need to either add it in or maybe elaborate on what their anti-racism values are. Their training needs to involve anti-racism training and actions. This reduces stereotypical biases because they need to embed these things into their policies and their processes. And it doesn't have to always be, it could be something fun. You know, they could have like a cultural day. I, I know some different jobs are doing that now where people bring in like the dishes of their culture and it's like a fun day because it's such, you know, delicious food. And, you know, when you're viewing the food, you talk a little bit more about, you know, where it is that you came from and like what your traditions were and stuff like that. And it helps your coworkers know a little bit more about you and you get to eat wonderful food. This is one example. There's wonderful things that we could do, but mainly, you know, management, they need to demonstrate their commitment to anti-racism. And I, I love the idea of a cultural day because I love food. So what better way to have food and talk and, and learn and learn about different cultures? I think that's a great idea. Exactly. Right. And it's very disarming because it's just food and it's delicious and it's fun. And it's not like, oh, God, we're going to have a racism talk, you know, <laughs> like because sometimes when you when you have people hear the word racism, that's it. Like their backs up against the wall. They're all defensive. They're thinking, you know, some guy's going to come in and talk to us and lecture us for three hours. That doesn't work. No, it doesn't work if you scold people. But I also think now that we're in COVID-19, a lot more things are done. Uh, through video calls at the moment, there are still opportunities to get together and learn from each other. And I hope that things don't go away because we're not seeing each other face to face and we can still bring uh, the togetherness on the devices because we don't want to lose the sense of uh, togetherness. Which kind of leads into the next question is, yes, video call, you can see somebody. But I was reading an article and uh, it was some women entrepreneurs who were black and they were discussing how they would make appointments on the phone. And then when they met with the clients in real life, they were shocked that these women were black because it's not what they pictured on the phone when talking to these women. 
I want to know, have you ever had that experience in any of the jobs that you have held? Like I supported maybe about three to 400 patients and I was kind of like the frontline person. I did the support groups. I was their advocates. I helped them navigate through the different uh, health authorities and all of BC. So a lot of my work was phone work. And so I would really connect a lot of the patients over the phone and we would have very, um, you know, personal conversations because it's, you know, it's about them or their spouse's declining health. And I was their advocate to help either put programs in place or send them equipment or basically just help them in whatever way way that our our organization could. I developed positive rapport and personal relationships with a lot of um, specific people. And so the interesting thing was that when I would go to visit these different towns, whether it be Kelowna or Cranbrook, I would go there for like an event I'm putting on and also maybe a support group. So, and I would meet a lot of the patients that I was currently working with. So they would be so excited to to meet me and like, can't wait to see me on Wednesday and everything. And then when I would show up and they would meet me, they, the common thing they would almost always say was, oh, wow, Jamie, it's so great to meet me. But you know what? Your voice sounds so different. You look so different than what your voice was. And it basically just meant, wow, they're so surprised I'm black, (laughs) you know, but they just say it in a more polite way. But you know what? At this point, we already have a relationship. So in that sense, it's kind of like, well, you had a relationship and a rapport with someone that you didn't know was black. And now that you found out was black, it's too late. We already have a friendship. We already have that rapport. So they didn't change how they felt about me afterwards, but they were quite shocked to see me. And that's also to kind of stereotyping how people talk or what their voices sound like. You know, people have told me many times, like, oh, you speak so well for a Black person. You know, like, that's not a compliment to me. (laughs) How are we supposed to speak? It's just an odd thing to say. It is. Well, I I worked on the Rioma during my career and I have a very low tone for a woman. And I got, oh, well, I thought you were a 60-year-old woman that smoked all day. And I was like, is that supposed to be a compliment? (laughs) But it's kind of like, this is what our society needs to work on. Think before you talk. And if you have opinions about a a specific person, if it's not positive, keep it to yourself. (laughs) You know, this is something for women, women in radio, women in politics, women in any type of male dominated jobs. There's people are always commenting on things that have nothing to do with the job. I agree. And I feel like as little kids, we were taught think before you speak. But I think a lot of people forgot about that or we're not taught it. And that's the other thing I was reading a lot on is that black entrepreneurs don't necessarily feel comfortable in promoting their services with their face on any of their promotional material. Uh, Like some realtors who are black, they don't like to put their face on their signs because they feel that people won't necessarily hire them, which really should never be the case. Race has nothing to do with talent and the capability of providing an amazing service. So where do we start as a society to stop black entrepreneurs from hiding who they truly are? Yeah, this is definitely such a true thing. It kind of relates to that whole, you know, changing the name on the resume thing, you know, like this is not something people are making up. This is something that people are experiencing. And so I totally get that black business owners wouldn't like to promote that. And a lot of times I would say, especially in the US, but probably in Canada too, people might be targeted if they are a black business. Their businesses might be defaced. They know that race has nothing to do with their talent, but it's literally fear of your safety and also of your business 
business not being successful because people don't want to support you for whatever it is. Where do we start as a society? I think that Black entrepreneurs need to be kind of supported more by their communities. People need to, instead of thinking of people as the other or like people always asking Black people like, oh, where are you from? Oh, but no, where are you really from? Oh, you don't ask somebody who's white, like, where are you from as often? And if you do and they say Canada, you just kind of let it go. Even if their parents are from England, you don't say, well, where are your parents really from? <laughs> you know, I think that's another whole thing. It's like maybe accept more black people as like, if you have a black neighbor, maybe smile at them or just show them that, hey, I think you're my neighbor. I want to get to know you. I think it's a group effort, you know? So if everyone in Canadian society could help support black entrepreneurs or in neighborhoods or communities, support your local person of color who's trying to, whatever it is, have a flower shop. And I've actually seen some beautiful things like where black floor shop or some type of restaurant was defaced by, I don't know, white supremacists or maybe some a neo-Nazi group or something. I've seen the whole community come to that person's establishment, that person of color's establishment and start supporting them and buying their food and, you know, calling on the whole community. Let's come out and support this local community endeavor. And it's been beautiful, you know, but do we need to wait for somebody's place to get defaced first? No, we can just do that. And by helping to raise them up when people are in our communities and they're flourishing, our communities are flourishing. It's always better for people in communities to know each other, you know, as that we kind of tend to be like more insular these days where we don't know our neighbors and everything. Know your neighbors more. If your neighbors look different, start a conversation with them. You guys have so much more in common than you think. So I think that's what it is like just getting to know more people, getting to know more people who don't look like you, letting your kids play with everybody. Yeah, that's another positive thing that came out of COVID-19 is a lot of my friends said they now talk to their neighbors or talk to the people living in their community more because when we were all kind of in like semi-lockdown, they, they just wanted that comfort from the other people. So it was nice that people were actually more willing to say hi to each other a, a, and start a conversation. Yeah, it's actually, it's been really interesting. And yeah, not only that, like I've made so many new friends, like even just on Facebook, I feel like our conversations are deeper now. Um, I have like more meaningful connections with a lot of people. And we are actually are having those uncomfortable talks about everything, capitalism and racism and everything. And it's actually making, helping people understand each other more. So I I think that's wonderful. Yeah. And another hard topic no one talks about is money. And I was actually shocked when I was reading this recent article that looked at the most recent census data from 2016, which shows that black Canadians face far steeper economic challenges than white Canadians and actually other racial groups. For example, black Canadians make significantly less than non-racialized Canadians, regardless of how long their families have lived in Canada. First-generation Black Canadians make an average income of nearly 37000 compared to an average income of 50000 for new immigrants who are not members of a visible minority. The wage gap, of course, is awful, and it's devastating, and I, I still can't get over it, but I know there's no easy fix to this. But what can we do as a society to change this? I'm just a person, too, who's going through life in this uncharted territories. And I don't have all the answers either. But I think the whole wage gap idea, that is a result as well of all of our unconscious biases. It's labor market discrimination, basically. And it's unequal access to higher paying jobs for certain groups. What is that about? Why is that? It's kind of like when you have been brought up, but we have all been indoctrinated from Hollywood movies and the way our education 
education system is. As children also, we're developmentally vulnerable, so we're just taking in all this information. There's something in teaching called the hidden curriculum is basically the omission of certain information. And so basically the omission is that there's no Black history taught. There's no history about, you know, Indigenous peoples of the world and how they created systems and civilizations. Not only do Black kids suffer because of that and because you don't see yourself reflected, then also white children who grow up and who grow up to work in their parents' companies or get those high-paying jobs, they have been indoctrinated to view certain people as successful. So when we see two different candidates, we automatically feel like, oh, this white male in the suit, he seems like he's more professional. This is an unconscious bias that even I have. You know, there's like a joke like, oh, you need someone to talk about your organization. Just get a white man to put on a suit and everyone will listen to him. You know, like, and and this is also like against women as well. Like, why do we feel like men are more professional than women? So these are just unconscious biases that we have. Not only critically think about it, but then we need to be in positions, different people, women, people of color, change those policies. Somebody has to rewrite those policies so that it actually helps people who have the most merit and the most potential be in these positions instead. Can you imagine the amount of talent that has been wasted over the years? Can you imagine the amount of inventions that haven't been invented because of this wasted talent? Because we haven't given other people a chance to show us what they can do. Like, that's pretty sad for humanity. That's pretty sad for industries and innovation. The world, we could have been so much farther. You know, we're missing a lot of talent that we could have been making our world more amazing for so long now. This is what COVID-19 is teaching us. We need to come together as a world. We need to promote people with talent, no matter the color of their skin. We need to find a vaccine. We need to find ways to fight global warming. We are all on this earth together and we need to work together. COVID-19 is teaching us that the ways we were living our lives before was wrong. And with the Black Lives Matter movement gaining more momentum and people starting to realize we have a problem with systemic racism right here in Canada and the rest of the world, do you think this new changing world will give more opportunities for Black entrepreneurs to thrive? I do. Like this time, I don't know what it is. It's because of many different things, but I do feel a different energy. You know, our society is built in a way that we don't have a lot of time to think, you know, it's like the rat race. It's Monday to Friday. It's uh, your kids picking up from daycare. Oh gosh, what am I going to cook for dinner? So, you know, well-intentioned people really did not have like this time for reflection, this time with the COVID-19 and people have had a little bit more time to think about where they are and the kind of world that they do want for their children. And also just realizing that we are a collective and that we cannot have some people always suffering and it not impact everybody else. It's always going to impact us because I mean, in actuality, you know, this is all very new age, but we are one. We are at this impetus for change right now. And I don't see it dying down. You know, people have been, I've been con- like connecting with so many different people, even like my old friends who are really asking me questions, trying to do the work. I love it, you know, and I know some people are kind of like, you know, saying, oh, you know, it's not black people's jobs to educate people about racism. But you know, it's like, 
do you want to be right or do you want to help with the change? You know, I'm so happy to talk about anything that will progress our society, anything that will make positive changes. And so I think for Black entrepreneurs right now, I think it's it's going to be a, a good time because people are more open right now. People are checking their unconscious biases. Black entrepreneurs in Canada are Canadians. We're just Canadian kids who grew up and it's kind of like, oh, wow, I feel like people are seeing me more right now, you know? people are trying to understand more. So I think this is a wonderful time for for everybody. And, you know, I hope it keeps growing. We can talk about intersectionality too. I mean, there's women's issues with people with disabilities. Like I think everybody, when we lift up one group, we lift up all the groups because we lift up humanity. Thank you so much again, Jamila. I love the fact that you want to help people learn. You want to help me learn. And, and and I'm open to it. I'm here to listen. I'm here to do what I can to help. And again, I thank you for coming on to Coping 19 and telling us what the situation is and what we need to be aware of. So thank you. Oh, you're so welcome. It's my pleasure. My pleasure. And like, you know, this is one of my, in my life, like in my forties, I'm feeling so uh, happy to know that there are so many allies. There's so many human allies. So I want to thank you yourself for doing the work and for being an ally just for the whole human family, because this is how we're going to make our world great again, you know? So it's wonderful. And these conversations need to happen. So thank you so much for having me. Thank you for listening to the Coping 19 Limited Series podcast, looking at how entrepreneurs are coping with COVID-19 and how they're changing their businesses to fit this new world.